0: I adopted a new name, which was James Gatz, uh, James Donald Gatz. Donald is actually my middle name, which is, was one of the kind of mistakes I made. Um, it didn't end up costing me, but you know, when people try to disappear, oftentimes they, they carry something over from their previous life, and that's the way they end up getting caught. They use the same birth date, or they'll transpose the numbers in their birth date, or in their social security number. So using my middle name was a bad idea, but I adopted a new name. Part of the reason I adopted James Gatz is that it's it's a name that, in The Great Gatsby, it's actually The Great Gatsby's original name.
1: Becoming someone else is so easy to screw up. One poor choice, one habit, even a shirt from your former life can lead a detective to your door. I'm Jim Grinstead, and today we're going to talk about how to disappear and how to avoid the people who will be looking for you.
0: I had a fake ID. You may have seen it. It was uh, it was actually like a university ID. I called myself a visiting scholar because creating a regular driver's license or passport would get me into legal problems. So I... Mostly tried to sort of stay within the parameters of of this low level ID, and then I would often tell a story that I had I had lost my driver's license, but I had this scholar's ID and I had this credit card, and was that enough to get me by? And at most hotels, at most places where they kind of routinely ask for driver's license for no apparent reason, that was enough. So then I had uh, the company that I had was actually registered in the state of New Mexico. It's a real company. It's called Bespect LLC. It's still registered. It's not registered to my name. And then I also wanted to separate everything from my old life to my new life. So I rented an office under a fake name. And then I had all my mail under my fake name show up at that office, including this gift card I had it sent there. Because any mail that I had sent to my own address with the fake name creates a connection in a database somewhere between these two identities. This is my Facebook page. And this was interesting because... If you or I sign up for Facebook, the way it usually works is somebody says, oh, you should sign up for Facebook, and then uh, you connect with them, and then they know some of your friends, and you connect with them, and then pretty soon you have a network of your friends. You send them some invitations, maybe your family as well. I was, as James gets, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone, and I didn't want to connect with anyone that I knew. So it created this dilemma of how do I manufacture friends out of nothing, and it turns out there are people on Facebook who will friend anyone. Um, <laughs> And most of them are multi-level marketing gurus and real estate people. So I would find people who had 900, 1,000, 2,000 friends, and I would send them requests. And pretty soon, I built up a pretty good collection of friends say, oh, look me up on Facebook. And it created this perception that I was a real person. Like, you know, who would concoct this entire identity with business cards? And it just gave an authenticity. So it was kind of looking at both sides of this question that, People could use my old information to track me, but I could also use the whole idea of digital identity to develop this new person who would have a backstory because he existed online. That's not
1: James Gatz. It's Evan Ratliff, a journalist who attempted to live off the grid as part of an article he did for Wired magazine. He was speaking at the Walker Arts Center in Minneapolis. Ratliff eventually got caught but it's partially because his editors intentionally doled out details of his life so others could join the search. While those clues helped, it was dogged work by a group of snoops who eventually tracked him to New Orleans. Ratliff was smart. He figured out how to solve the major problem of disappearing. Documents. He used a college ID to begin building his identity. Others may not have the charm or ability to pull that off. In that case you may go the illegal and expensive route. Sky News in Britain reported on the arrest of a gang that was in the business of creating fake
2: identities. What essentially they were doing between them was to provide not fake passports, but what are known as fog passports. So those are fraudulently obtained genuine passports Most villains who go on the run have to rely on stolen or forged passports and of course they always run the risk of being easily detected if they're stopped, if they have to cross borders where checks are done or if they have to check into hotels. It's very difficult to go on the run with a fake passport Um, but these were genuine passports and this essentially was how it was how how it worked. Anthony Beard was one of the three. He targeted vulnerable passport holders, genuine passport holders. They were often people with drink or or drug problems who were unlikely to travel. Um, the passports had expired or it was claimed that they'd been lost damage, So Anthony Beard applied for replacements, for renewed passports, and when they were issued, they were genuine. Um, he built up a store of them, hundreds of them. But then, when high-end criminals um, were on the run and needed a new passport, they would go to one of the organised crime gangs that Anthony Beard was in touch with and order one of these passports. Now, Anthony Beard took a photograph of the villain on the run and matched it from one of his hundreds of stored passports. So he found somebody who owned that passport who resembled the villain. And then the passport was applied for with the villain's photograph and came back with the wrong photograph, of course. But it was a genuine passport.
1: Of course, a valid passport is much stronger ID than a college ID, so it can be used for a multitude of other documents. The ability to open a bank account, get electricity and water for the apartment you just rented, and more. You could go the illegal route again, but that's expensive, and you still must have enough cash to pay for food, housing, and transportation until you can get steady income. Still, you're off to a decent start. Unless you live in Australia. Security officials there told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation how they tried to solve the passport problem.
3: The first is to establish whether this new photo belongs to the same old Jonica as they have on file in their client history. And while our pathetic attempt at fraud is obvious, imagine how tricky this could be with a family member, even a twin. The second test is this face being used elsewhere, under another name.
4: We have something like 22 million images in our gallery. Uh, our computer system does that in a fraction of a second, incredibly fast. A person trying to match that image against that number of, of photos is, is impossible.
1: I'm a summer guy. I'll be on the porch, enjoying a cool drink and reading. It doesn't get any better, unless someone else does the cooking. I'm not going to spend a day in fresh air only to eat processed foods. If I'm not eating fresh, I'm wasting one of the best seasons of the year. Fortunately, Factor comes to my rescue. They send fresh meals to me that can be cooked up in minutes. I can go back to the porch with a great meal and enjoy the sunset. I'm not into programmed diets. I like the chef's choice meals. But if I wanted keto, protein, vegan, or anything else, they can provide it. Premium meals could include steak, shrimp, broccolini, or asparagus. The meals come prepped and are customizable. You can get add-ons for breakfast, lunch, or snacks. And when I head out on vacation, Factor will pause my service until I get back. Plus, I love to grill. So I can choose one of Factor's meals during the week and fire up the charcoal on weekends. Be good to yourself. Enjoy the warm weather. Great foods from Factor, along with some money-saving discounts I'm about to tell you about. Head to factormeals.com/scams and cons 50 and use code scams and cons 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code scams and cons 50 at factormeals.com/scams and cons 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. If you want to be extra cautious You may want to change the way you look before picking out that shiny new passport.
3: Did you know there's a CIA position titled chief of disguise? How freaking cool is that person? I was chief of disguise for two years. I was deputy chief of disguise before that. Chief of Disguise has a worldwide staff. We always have in the back of our minds this memo that the person, the foreigner, is going to take back to his office and say, oh, I met with this American. And everything in his description of the American that he met is going to be wrong. From the hair color, length, is it curly or not, color of eyes, it's going to be wrong. Does he wear glasses? It's going to be wrong. Does he smoke? Is he married? Does he have a gold chain around his neck? All of that is wrong. It's a disguise, and it keeps our officer safe.
1: That's Johna Menendez, former CIA officer and a founding board member of the International Spy Museum, answering questions from X or Twitter or whatever it's being called by the time you hear this. A former CIA officer has another point of view, saying that disappearing isn't as difficult as one might think. He agrees with a whole bit about documents, but for a different reason.
4: So you would want something because you're going to need the advantage of technology without it being in your name. So you go out and you steal a phone or you steal a laptop. You do whatever you have to do to make sure that you can get on with the password and whatever else that might be. As, As dirty or as clean as you want that to be, we're all morally flexible here. But now you have... A technological device that you can work with, uh, and then from there on, you're just doing whatever you have to do, whether you're stealing every step of the way, or whether you uh, ma- you run a massive con. Keep in mind that we often talk about con men and cons. Do you know what the root, the word that "con" is a root word for? Confidence. That's what a con man is. A con man is a confidence man. Just somebody who is so brazenly confident that the people around them living in their own perception, not perspective. And their perception, they're like, well, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to do what he says. So you can run a massive con and that can take care of your finances. That can take care of your lodging, whatever amount, whatever else it is. You are whoever you present yourself to be. So if you want to go be, you want to be Bill for the afternoon, just go tell people your name is Bill. They're not going to question you.
1: That's Andrew Bustamante a former CIA covert intelligence office, on the Lex Freeman podcast. You can change your name, get the documents to back it up, change your looks, and if you've planned your vanishing act far in advance, you'll have a big fat wad of cash in your pocket. At this point, to quote the Carpenters, you've only just begun. Just because you've done all this doesn't mean people won't be looking for you. you. They won't know that you've disappeared voluntarily. They'll be worried that you've been killed, are ill, and in a hospital or morgue where nobody knows your name. Police will be looking, and when they give up the search, your friends and family may hire a private detective to investigate, and they work by the hour. So now you've got to figure out how to be smarter than those really experienced people who are looking for you. Thomas Martin of Private Investigative Services in Newport Beach, California, has 50 years' experience in law enforcement. His agents, which are many, have similar backgrounds. They have a great track record in finding people, even those who don't want to be found. Martin says many people hide in the area they grew up in and do little to conceal their identity. Some even keep their own phone numbers. One of his key investigative techniques is to monitor what phone calls come in on Mother's Day. Those who disappear often want to call and offer their best wishes. You don't stay hidden long with moves like that. In researching this series, I found countless cases where people's remains were found decades after their disappearance. A woman was found in Puerto Rico nearly 50 years after she went missing. She was homeless and believed to have dementia. She couldn't tell authorities how she got there from the mainland and what happened. In another case, a teenage couple were found in their car that had plunged into a lake not far from their home. The car was invisible underwater. They died in an accident. Still, the families didn't know what happened to them until an amateur searcher came across it.
5: Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi, true true crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news.
6: We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe.
5: And then in Vanessa's documentary, She.
6: But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane.
5: And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say
6: who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz.
5: And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts.
6: We can't wait to bring you these stories.
1: I want to be clear once again. The number of people who voluntarily disappear are few. Some come back, and we'll hear from the wife of one of those people in a later episode, But we can't know how many were successful in disappearing, because searchers didn't find them. If you want to avoid being found, then don't be in any of the places where they'll be looking. Let me tell you what those are. The first thing, and I can't emphasize this enough, is that you don't have to wait 24 hours to report someone missing. Some unenlightened police departments will tell you that you must wait. Some private detectives won't take a case until they've been missing 72 hours or longer. The smart ones get on it right away. Why is that? Most people are found close to home. They're found closer to home if the search starts quickly. Conventional wisdom also says to put up flyers, try to get the press interested, talk with friends and relatives. Most of this is likely obvious to you. These things are based on the assumption that the person did not voluntarily go missing, which gives the person who wants to vanish more time to get wherever they're going. In the next episode, we'll talk about where that might be. Those are the quick and dirty things that family can do, but there are traditional steps most search and rescue teams use. This list is from Kentucky emergency management officials, and I'll go through it with AI Voice Michael. Three main pieces of information are important. The first is the place where the person was last seen, such as a park.
5: Imagine someone lost a silver dollar coin in a child's sandbox. When you begin looking for it, you simply shuffled the sand around hoping it would turn up. Your probability of detection for this hasty search might be 25%. In other words, 25% of the time, this hasty search would have turned up the lost coin. But it didn't. So, you begin... Digging a little deeper, looking a little harder, but still with no definite technique. When you finish, you might begin asking the person if they were sure they lost it in the sandbox. Now, you're 50% sure it isn't in the box, so you search a third time. But, this time you approach the search with a more structured approach. You draw some large blocks in the sand and run your fingers through each grid, looking for the coin. When you've searched the entire sandbox, you declare... I'm 75% sure the coin isn't in there. Finally, you divide each large block in the sand into smaller blocks and search each block by screening the sand through a wire mesh. Sure enough, you discover the coin. It was in there all along. Kentucky outlines different types of searches. In the search and rescue community, a bastard search refers to looking in all the obvious places and assuming the person wasn't really lost to begin with or found his own way out and simply went home. The name originates from what the searchers typically call the person after they've spent hours and hours crawling through the woods only to find the victim at home, watching baseball and eating chips. Then there is a containment search. When a search team first arrives on the scene, they usually know the point last scene of the victim. It might be a trailhead, a campground, or someone's front yard, but they do have a place to start. In theory, you can determine the maximum area you need to search by starting at that point, determining how fast the person is traveling and how long it's been since you last saw him there. What you end up with is a circle with the point last seen in the center because you don't know for sure which direction the person went or if they continued moving in that direction or not. There is the hasty search. A hasty team search will usually consist of 10 to 12 highly trained searchers. This team will be dropped into a virgin search area and will quickly spread out in pairs looking for clues or the lost person in obvious places. The goal of a hasty team is to move quickly through the search area, almost at a slow jog to check cliffs, wells, tangle hazards, caves, ditches, etc. If a lost person is conscious, even if they are injured and unable to move, the hasty team should detect them as they pass through the area. The members of a hasty team are not directed to move along a certain path or in a given direction. They are usually given free reign over how they move through the territory. They might spend a few minutes checking an old barn, but move at almost a run across an open field. The idea is to cover the ground. This is why it is so important to use trained searchers, because they are usually much more in tune with what clues to look for and how to quickly spot footprints, broken branches tracking signs, and more. There is a grid search in which
1: emergency teams lay out a grid that moves away from where the person was last seen. They then walk that grid square by square. A choke point search asks how many points of exit there are from where the person was last seen and then monitor those for the missing person. Then there's the tracking search. This is much like what a hunter would do when looking for prey. Footprints, broken limbs,
5: whatever is consistent with whoever is being tracked. Kentucky concludes, If your team is in the field and discovers a solid clue, then your team has assisted in the search by advancing the last known position. By connecting the various clues and positions, it will often draw a line directly to where the lost person will eventually be found. We're now going to hear from Robert Kester, speaking at Harvard University. He
1: has a huge database about missing persons and how they were found. Using that data, he's able to greatly increase the probability of finding someone. He's developed a technique called lost person behavior. Kester compares search and rescue operations to mysteries, where it's not who done it, but where done it.
6: I'm kind of fond of saying, I'm really good at telling you where 100 lost people are going to be found. For our unique individual, eh, it can be difficult. And finally, the, the key question is, where are they now?
1: Kester's going to get geeky here, but then he's a database guy and that's what they do. But it does illustrate where and how modern researchers go about their business, making it easier for those wanting to vanish to do so. It also points out that the research does not include people who've gone voluntarily missing. One, because it's rare. And secondly, if they've been successful, researchers won't be able to find them.
6: We have a missing 11-year-old female. She has Asperger's, which is at the high end of the autism spectrum disorder. She told her mother she was going to go out and film a nature video. She was last seen at her house. Quick search of the immediate area, located her bicycle. That's where our search effort's going to begin. Now imagine for a moment you had only been on eight searches in your entire search career. You had looked for a missing hiker. You had looked for another missing hiker. You looked for a guy who fell off a raft into swift water. You looked for somebody who had dementia. You looked for a 10-year-old boy. You looked for a 16-year-old boy who has autism, another dementia subject, and a despondent subject. Of those searches, which would you predict would actually give you the most information of where to look for our missing uh, 11-year-old. Now, this turned out to be a four-day search because the search planners initially kind of ignored this approach, tried to base it upon investigations. Investigations said this subject hated to get her shoes muddy. Therefore, they excluded looking in the woods. It was a non-searcher who got a message from God that that was a good place to go look. And that's where she was found, just a little bit outside the 25 percentile, which should have been a primary search place to look. She was, she was fine. And uh, the stuff about the shoes, she was wearing her mother's shoes that day.
1: The recommendations are not unlike what we learned earlier from Kentucky's model, but they suggest a different approach to the search. Now, I've geeked you out enough for one episode, so let me sum things up. We've learned how to disappear, how to get documents, and other items you'll need to create an entirely new person. And I want to emphasize that a lot of cash is important. Then you have to stay hidden and avoid the tactics searchers typically use to find people. In the next episode, we'll look at places you might go, and how the missing deal with the loneliness of giving up everything. If you enjoy scams and cons, please give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find us, and your ratings really do make a difference. And don't forget to head over to our Facebook group, where I'll post more stories about scams, and you can chat with other fans. Just search Facebook for scams and cons, and be sure to select the group rather than the page. It's a private group just to keep the bots out, so just ask to join and I'll take care of the rest. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this show, please give us a 5-star rating wherever you listen. You hear this all the time on other podcasts because it helps people find us and become subscribers. Your ratings really do make a difference. And don't forget to head over to our website, scamsandcons.com, where you can chat with other fans and get more stories about scams, many of which are going on right now. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. You hear this all the time on other podcasts because it helps people find us and become subscribers. Your ratings really do make a difference. And don't forget to head over to our website, ScamsandCons.com, where you can chat with other fans and get more stories about scams, many of which are going on right now. I look forward to hearing what you have to say.
3: Thanks for listening. Scams and Cons is a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.
6: Did
4: you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Ah! Or just a horrible accident? Ah! That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode.
6: 911, what's your emergency?
4: But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation.